If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 17, and we will begin in verse 22. Luke chapter 17 and verse 22. And if you followed along with our study last week, you might remember that Jesus had healed ten lepers. And then right at the end of our text that we studied last time, um, he had answered some Pharisees' questions about the timing of the kingdom of God. Now remember, that, that should not have been a, um, a, an unusual question because he'd been talking about the kingdom. His, uh, his forerunner, John the Baptist, had been talking about the kingdom, how it was at hand, and so forth. And so they were asking about the, 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 the timing of the kingdom. When was it, when was it going to show up? And Jesus said that, um, and of course, he, he was correcting their, their, uh, their ideas, their assumptions about the timing and also the nature of the kingdom because they thought it was going to be um, uh, kind of flashy. It was going to be uh, very visible. Everybody's going to know about it. It's going to be located in kind of one little area because this Messiah they thought was going to come in and overthrow the Roman government. And so Jesus taught them and, and he corrected them and said that, that the kingdom was already in their midst. It was already in their midst because he was in their midst. And, and when he came onto the scene, he ushered in the kingdom. And, and as proof of that, you remember he had healed these ten lepers. And this, these healings were really the, the kingdom of God breaking in into history because the kingdom of God is a place of wholeness where there's no more sickness and death and so forth. And so this, this is kind of a little glimpse of the kingdom. And so, so Jesus uh, corrects their, their, their ideas. And, um, and, and having said that, though, the kingdom has not been consummated. It has not been completed. Because even now we have the kingdom of God in our midst because uh, any place where God's rule is, is followed by his people, there is the kingdom of God. But having said that, uh, one day Christ will return and usher in the eternal state. That's not happened yet. So this, this kingdom is a, an already but not yet reality. And so uh, Jesus turns his attention in our text today to the disciples. And he talks about the, the, uh, the, the nature of the kingdom and the timing. And he, he instructs them about the kingdom of God. Now I want to warn you as we work our way through this. Because um, there is a dominant idea, a dominant interpretation, and a, a dominant uh, belief system about the end times and because it's so pervasive in our culture so pervasive in our minds when we read certain words or, or terms in the bible sometimes our mind automatically jumps to certain interpretations without necessarily reading the actual words of scripture and i i caution you because there are a couple of those words in our text today and uh, to go along with that sometimes we're not real familiar with some of the events of history that are significant and so it may cause us to uh, not really understand all that what uh, all that Jesus is saying. So anyway, we are going to look at this text and uh, finish out chapter 17. So if if you found Luke 17, uh, please stand with me if you're able, and like I said, we'll pick up in verse 22 and finish out the chapter. It says, and he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, look here. Uh, look there, look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. 
It will be just the same uh, on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and the one who... And, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down and take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place, and one will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, the first thing I want you to see today is the desire for the Son. The desire for the Son. Jesus, as I said before, he turns his attention to the disciples, and in particular, the days of the Son of Man. And he tells them that there's coming a time when they, those, gathered, those disciples gathered around him, would long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Now, what he's saying is there's a day coming in the not-too-distant future when Christ's followers would long to see one of his days. Now, what days is he talking about? The days where he's fulfilling that role as Messiah um, in the way that they were wanting him to fulfill that role of Messiah as, uh, as this, this conquering overthrower of enemies. In other words, things were going to get rough for him, and not only them, but also for the whole Jewish nation, which was centered in, and, uh, centered in Jerusalem and that surrounding area. There were days coming when there, there was going to be war and difficulty and, and lots of death and, and just all kinds of terrible stuff. And these disciples would long for one of those days where, where, where Jesus would come in as this conquering king. And we know this happened in 70 A.D. Now, many of us have, have maybe heard of the destruction of Jerusalem. That happened in 70 A.D. by the Romans. They came in and they leveled the place. They ransacked it. Uh, to use Jesus' terminology, they didn't leave one stone upon another. That's when the temple, uh, the, the, the temple that they had was torn down. And it's still not been rebuilt all these years later. Many times we, we see pictures of the Holy Land. We see uh, the Temple Mount, and there's this huge, ornate building on it. That's a mosque. That's not the temple. And so we look at these things, and, and, and sometimes we don't put two and two together. He's talking prim- first and foremost about this, this event in 70 A.D. It was a time of great difficulty, great trial. And Jesus says... Um, there, there's going to be this, this, this time coming when they would long for him to come in to throw off the Roman government and, and to conquer them. But he says, you're not going to see it. But just because he wasn't fulfilling that role doesn't mean that others wouldn't claim to. There, there would be false messiahs that would rise up and they would gather people around themselves and they would claim to be this messiah, they would claim to be this deliverer, and people would flock to them. And Jesus says in, in uh, verse 23, they'll say to you, look, look there and look here, don't go away, do not run after them. Now this is just a side note, but I just wonder how many, how many fewer deaths there would be if people of even today would follow this advice. Because if people would recognize that the... That, that, that you know, people like Jim Jones, he was not the Messiah. So we wouldn't have the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid. I mean, the people in Waco, uh, many of them would still be alive because they wouldn't have followed David Koresh. I mean, the, 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 the cults, the numbers of uh, people in the cults would be cut down dramatically if people would just listen to what Jesus said in this passage. Whenever people are saying, look, here's the Messiah, he is, he's come. It's, it's a kind of a secret deal. Uh, he, he's, it, it's, it's, it's not a lot of people know about, but this is the real deal. If they would just listen to what Jesus said, he says, don't, they'll, they'll say, here, here it is, there it is. Don't run after them. Don't, don't believe it. 
it would cut down on the number of people in the cults and, and consequently the people have, uh, that, that have died because of that. But Jesus says, don't go after these people. And so if, if Jesus is, is going to be showing up, how are we to know which one is the real one? How, how are we to know when it's happened? Look at verse 24. He says, For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. In other words, when he shows up, it's going to be obvious. It's going to be visible. It's going to be plain. And we've all had those times we've been driving out in, in a storm. We've looked out of our house, and, and things are storming. Even if there's a lot of lightning, sometimes there's a dramatic bolt of lightning. And it almost always elicits a response. I mean, even if, even if you're not impressed with nature, when some of those bolts of lightning flash across the sky, people automatically say, whoa, right? I mean, it, it, it gets your attention. It's obvious. It's, it's plain. It's visible. And Jesus says that's the way it's going to be when he returns. It's going to, be, it's going to shine with the light, the brightness of 10 billion strikes of lightning. I mean, it is a dramatic event. It's going to be plain and visible. Everybody's going to see it. Now, it's worth noting here that, uh, that in our text, much like the prophets in the Old Testament, Jesus is squashing two events together. They're separated by a, a period of time. Now, what happens in, in the Old Testament is you read the prophecies, there will be a... A nearer, like a, a chronologically, there will be a fulfillment of that prophecy fairly close to the time that the prophet gives the prophecy, the oracle, and then there's a later, fuller fulfillment many times. And, and, and you can imagine if, if you picture looking at two mountains and you can see one peak and there's another bigger peak behind it. That's the way it is with this prophecy. The, the, the smaller peak that's closer to you, that's the more immediate fulfillment. And the bigger, more dramatic fulfillment is the later event. So like the, uh, the birth of Christ. There are many uh, prophecies about his birth that, that would be an illustration of this. Now, if you look at them head on, they kind of almost meld into the same event, that, or the, the same picture. They, they, they look like they're all one big mountain. But if you look at them from the side, you'll see there's, there can be a gap. And that's what it is with this prophecy. Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, but he's also talking about his return. He's telling it all, it's like looking at it head on. And he's telling it all like one big story, but if you see from the side, there's a gap in time. 70 AD happened, his return has not yet happened in glory. So, so whenever he talks about this, understand he's talking about this immediate fulfillment in 70 A.D. with the destruction of Jerusalem and so forth, but he's also uh, ha- has an eye on his return uh, much later on. So, look at verse 25. This destruction of Jerusalem happened primarily because of their sin. He said that, that, that these things are going to happen after verse 25. He said, but first... He, the Son of Man, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. In other words, this destruction is coming as a result of their rejection. That did not happen whenever he had given this prophecy. Um, he's, he's crucified in the, in the 30s A.D. And then about a generation later, less than a generation later, Jerusalem is destroyed. Now, why, what, what's the connection? Just like in the Old Testament in, in the book of Genesis... You remember he said, God said, I'm going to bring you back to your descendants back to this land because the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. He was using the, 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 uh, 
the Israelites coming in and taking the promised land as a judgment on the wicked, uh, the wicked nations. And likewise, this judgment that's going to fall on Jerusalem is going to happen because they rejected their Messiah. So, I want you to see first the desire for the Son. They will long for the Son of Man to show up and overthrow uh, the Roman government. Next, I want you to see the preoccupation of society. The preoccupation of society. Jesus gives us two pictures of what the nation of Israel would be like when this destruction would come upon them, but also it's a picture of what it will be like when he returns. And the first picture is he said it will be like the days of Noah. Now, if you're like me, my first thought in the days of Noah, of course, you think about Noah, you think about the flood. Why was the flood even necessary? Why did it happen? Well, our thoughts might naturally go to uh, Genesis 6-5. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And we might look at it and say, well, that's the days of Noah. It's a wicked time. And so therefore, it's going to be a wicked time whenever Christ returns. And no doubt it will get worse and worse. The Bible talks about apostasy and the, uh, the, the Antichrist and all these different things that, that are going to come about. But you'll notice that's not the connection Jesus actually makes. He says in the days of Noah, here's, here's how it's going to be like uh, the days of Noah. He said in the days of Noah they were eating and drinking and marrying and, giving them, and being given in marriage. And the question is, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with eating and drinking? What's, what's wrong with marriage? Of course, the answer to that is nothing. Absolutely nothing is wrong. That's just the normal course of, of life. And that's the point. That's the problem because they focused on this world and they didn't give any thought to God. They didn't take care for their souls. They went about their daily lives without thinking about heaven or hell or, or sin or righteousness. And they just lived for the world. They lived for the moment. And they did so, Jesus said, until the rain came and destroyed them all. Now, Second Peter tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. It's not that he was just building the ark. He was warning people. He was preaching to them over and over and over again over these many years that he was building the ark. And people did not heed the message. Society was preoccupied with the here and now. And then he references the days of Lot, and he says it's much the same as that. Now, Lot, who was that? Lot was the, uh, the, the nephew of Abraham. Abraham's the friend of God. He was the one who, who had gotten the promises from God that the, 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 through him the whole world would be blessed and so on and so forth. And one of his uh, family members, his nephew Lot, was a righteous man, but he lived in Sodom. And the Bible says in his days... The residents of Sodom and Gomorrah were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. Again, they're involved in in daily activities. They were involved in commerce. And again, they were not thinking about God. And they did all this, Jesus said, until God rained down fire and brimstone and destroyed them all. Their, Their society was one that was preoccupied with the here and now. And that's the way it was when God used the Romans to destroy Jerusalem in 70 AD. And that's the way it's going to be when Christ returns. People are not going to be thinking about God. People are not going to be thinking about sin and, and righteousness and the right way to live. There's not going to be, uh, people are not going to be heeding the message of the gospel. And when he comes in judgment, it's going to be a surprise to them because they've not been thinking about God. So we see the preoccupation of society. Finally, I want you to see the revelation of the Son. The revelation of the Son. Uh, look, at, um, look at verse 30. And it will be just the same on, on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Now, here's where we might read something into the text instead of something out of the text. We're, we're supposed to read the scripture and then 
draw our conclusions from it. But sometimes we read stuff into the text from outside the Bible. And here's, here's one of those times. Because if you work your way down through there, he starts talking about uh, if, if somebody's on the rooftop, they shouldn't go down and get their stuff, uh, people being taken, and, and so forth. And we might read this language about being taken and automatically jump to this idea of a rapture event where God takes his people to heaven. But I think there are three things that make it plain that that is not the way Jesus is using that terminology. First, the whole tenor of the passage is on judgment. It's not on escape. That is a significant consideration. Number two, notice in verse 31, the disciples have time to see and decide and act. It says if you're on the rooftop, don't go down get your stuff. You need to get out of there. If this is a rapture event where God uh, unilaterally steps out of heaven and snatches his people off the earth, they're not going to have time to do that. And number three, uh, I want you to notice that there is a parallel passage in Matthew 24. You might, your Bible may have a little uh, notation that, that, that references this. You might write it down if, if it doesn't. But Matthew chapter 24, um, verses 37 through 41. And in that passage, I'm going to read it to you in just a second. In that passage, the word taken means taken in judgment. And I want you to listen to what, it, listen to what he says. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like in the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. Now, listen to that. The flood took them all away. They were taken in judgment. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be left. One will be taken. Um, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Now this being taken is clearly taken in judgment. At the revelation of the Son, He is coming in judgment. He is coming to judge the world. He, he, he's coming to gather the tares from among the wheat. He will separate the chaff from the wheat. And so what's this about going down from the rooftop and, and so forth? Well, we've talked about this before. The rooftops were flat. And the reason we have sloped roofs is because rain and snow and so forth. They're, they live in the desert. They don't get a lot of rain, and they sure don't get a lot of snow. And so their rooftops were flat, and they would use them like we use a patio. And so they might go up there to do some work. They might go up there to relax. But whatever the reason, he said, if you're up on your rooftop and all this stuff starts happening, you need to get out of there. Now, their, their stairs didn't go from inside the house to the roof. Their staircase was on the outside. And so there was no reason that they would have to go back inside to escape. And Jesus says, when you see all these things coming... When you see, any, and this is recorded in one of the other Gospels, when you see the, 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 the army surrounding Jerusalem, you need to flee as quickly as possible. And we know this happened again in 70 A.D. The Roman armies marched on Jerusalem. The Christians were up on, on the rooftops in different places. They saw this happening, and they literally did what Jesus said. They left everything. They left their, their possessions in their home, and they fled. They abandoned their stuff in order to save their life. And, and Jesus says, don't be like Lot's wife. Her heart was still in Sodom. And, and presumably when she turned back, she was maybe going back to gather some, some things to take with them. Don't have your heart set on the things of the world. 
And then Jesus concludes in verse 37 with a difficult word picture. Look at what it says again. The disciples answered, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Your Bible may translate that as eagles instead of vultures. Now this is a, this is a difficult and an obscure statement. And thankfully, it's recorded in more than one place. It's recorded here. It's also recorded in Matthew. But guess what? It's the exact same thing. No more context. No teaching. No explanation of it. That's just the statement that he gives. So it doesn't really help. As I read through different commentaries, as I was studying, basically everybody had a different take on it. And they all said, I won't say all, most everybody said something to the effect of, this is a difficult passage, but here's what it means. I'll tell you what I think it means. I'm not, I, I may be wrong. I'm not going to go to the mat over it with anybody. But here's what I think he's saying. Dead bodies will attract vultures. We may call them buzzards around here. And the, the, the dead body is going to attract the buzzards, going to attract the vultures. The death and the corruption, the decay is going to attract them. Likewise, these judgments are going to fall on Jerusalem. They will be attracted to Jerusalem because of the, the, the moral corruption and the moral decay of that city. Now again, that's one of the interpretations. It's not the only one by far. But I think that's what he's getting at. While this is not a plain thing, it's also not a main thing. The main things are plain and the plain things are main. And this is not plain and it's also not main. It's not talking about salvation. It's not talking about the exclusivity of Christ or anything like that. What is plain and what is main is that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again physically, visibly. It's going to be cataclysmic when he comes. And when he returns, he will bring judgment upon the wicked and the unbelieving. Now the question is, are you ready for that to happen? Because it's one thing to just say, yeah, Jesus is coming back. He's he's coming in judgment and, and so forth. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I ready for him to return? Because it could happen this very day. He may do that today. And I would be remiss if, having just said that, I don't encourage you in the strongest terms possible to repent and believe the gospel. Trust in Christ because you are a sinner. And the only hope that we have for salvation is by putting our faith in Christ. That is the only way to be made right with the Holy God. And if you've never done that, do it today. But maybe you are a Christian, and maybe as you look at this passage, maybe you recognize that you're kind of like Lot's wife. And your heart is set on the things of the world. Your heart is set on stuff. You have an attachment to things. Your heart's in Sodom, so to speak. And maybe what you need to remember is Lot's wife. To hold the things that you have with an open hand. And to not be so enamored with things that you are disobedient to what God said. I want you to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I...
again, I, I want to encourage you, if you are not a follower of Christ, not, I'm not talking about being a church member. I'm not talking about how many times you read the Bible. I mean, have you ever turned from your sin? And if you've never done that, do that today. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe as you look around, you say, well, I hope the kingdom comes soon because this world is a mess. And we may not know where the world is headed. I can tell you where it's headed. It's headed right where God has ordained. He is in control. And one day Jesus will step out from heaven and he will come to bring judgment on those who are not followers of Christ. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that today that you would help each of us as Christians to be ready whenever Christ returns. Lord, we know that Jesus told parables. He told stories of those servants, those slaves of the Master who were blessed because they were doing what he said whenever the Master returned. And I pray that you would find us faithful, that you'd find us obedient whenever you return, whenever that is. And maybe some of us here will taste death before that happens. Let us be faithful to you until that day. God, help us to not love the world or the things of the world. And God, I pray that today, if there's somebody who does not know you, they're not ready for Christ's return, I pray that today would be the day that they get right with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.